I was sick for a couple of days this week, earlier in the week, and I was told by the board that under no exception I was to rest and not work. It turns out I'm not very good at resting and not doing work. But I did have an opportunity to reacquaint myself with a book, a novel, called The Poisonwood Bible. Are you familiar with that work? It's a, it's a story about a family that goes to the Congo, and it actually mirrors or parallels another story written by John Grisham called The Testament. And it's a fascinating study because in The Testament, there's this mission uh, and we are introduced to the character of Rachel Lane, and Rachel Lane is up for this massive inheritance of her father that she never knew. She was an illegitimate child. And it's a story of how she maintains this focus on her work. And in spite of this incredible amount of wealth, this invitation to leave behind the hardships of a Brazilian jungle, she chooses to stay focused and stay true to her calling. In the Poisonwood Bible, we're introduced to this other mission character by the name of Nathan Price. Nathan is all the things Rachel Lane is not. He is driven by his own anxieties. He's driven by his own sense of self-need. He drags his daughters and his wife to this place, and he engages in what we would call today deeply colonial practices. And you can't help but cringe when you read it. If you've ever had any experience in mission, you will doubly cringe because you will recognize yourself in it in some ways. And it got me thinking about my own life, my own ministry, my own work, both in Canada and overseas. And I, 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 I'm asking myself this week, which one of those characters am I? Now, I know I am no Rachel Lane. I think if somebody offered me a billion dollars, I'd really, really have to think hard whether I'd still be your pastor next week. <laughs> I probably would be, but it would look a little different. Am I Nathan Price? Am I driven by my own ambitions? I'm probably somewhere in the middle. I think all of us probably are somewhere in the middle. But it got me thinking about my own journey and how for much of my life I really have fumbled forward in faith. There's been those moments where I feel like I'm on the mountaintop and I can see the entire world, everything is clear, and I can just sing because nothing, nothing is in my way. It's like I'm at the bridge of the Titanic and I'm leaning out and I'm saying I'm the king of the world. If you haven't seen that movie, you won't get the reference. Imagine me as a young Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> and then there are other moments where I'm in the water 
and there was room on that door for two. <laughs> but I'm going down. We've been talking about worship. And this week I want us to look at the life of Abraham. But specifically when he was still called Abram. To see how worship formed him as he fumbled forward in faith. Abram is a life of contrast. He was named at the start this person who would receive this amazing blessing. He was renamed in the end, was told he'd be the the father of many. You couldn't count the number of his offspring. Sometimes he did well, other times not so much, but he was always moving. And in the life of Abraham, even though he fumbled forward in faith, he always ended up pursuing God. I love what I read this week. It said, whether stumbling or succeeding, fumbling or failing, the one outstanding discernible feature of Abraham's character is that he lived his life before the altar of God. Abraham was a worshiper. And we see this in the, about a dozen times in the few short pages that we have of his life where he stopped and built an altar to God. And it's in these moments that we see how worship deeply influenced Abraham's life and shaped him in those moments as he pursued God. It didn't stop him from fumbling forward in faith. But in those moments, worship had a deeply impactful formational reality for Abraham. Abraham's been called. He's had this confrontation with God. He's been told to leave his family and to go to a land that I will show you. Now, leaving your family isn't like today where I get on a plane and I fly somewhere else and I can go back and see them whenever I want. It also means that I'm leaving behind my inheritance and starting from scratch. This is a profound act of faith. It's no wonder in Hebrews we see Abraham's life lifted up in the roll call of the heroes in chapter 11, even though his life was this mix of up and down, good and bad, foible and failure and folly. He still pursued God in these grand acts of faith. And in this first passage we see Abraham is accepting this promise of God. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give you this land to your descendants. Give this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. He receives this promise. He's called to leave his family behind. And his very first act is to worship. 
and to bring this all back to God. You see, I think the first point of worship, the thing that we see in Abram's life in this very moment is that worship opens us up to receive God's promises. Even when those promises promises seem beyond our ability to contain. I don't think for a second Abram went, yes, he couldn't grab his phone and Google Palestine. He was going into a place he knew nothing about. And sometimes in those moments where we don't know what's over the horizon, we've received a promise, we've received a clear call in our life, and we know this is where God is calling us to, we can hesitate. Because sometimes these promises come with uncertainty. And for some reason, and I don't know why, and it's one of the things I want to ask God about, often promises come without instructions. And so we know we're supposed to go, but we have no idea how we're supposed to get there. And in that uncertainty, doubt can begin to creep in. And so it's at worship, taking it to the altar, we begin to see our circumstances through the lens of Christ. Abram was surprised, I would be too, because God disrupts him. And when God promises, it is often disruptive. But he remained steadfast. And for the rest of his life, he stood at this altar again and again and again, giving glory to God. Worshiping the giver of promises reminds us of his power to perform and his faithfulness to keep his promise. Worshiping opens our hearts to receive the promises of God. After that, Abram traveled south and set up camp in the hill country with Bethel to the west and I to the east. There he built another altar and dedicated it to the Lord. In the ESV, it says, called upon the name of the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord. Then Abraham continued traveling south by stages towards the Negev. It's here at the second altar that Abram begins to learn more of the promiser. And I think this is more than just a practice for him. He's formed a habit of building, and wor- building these altars and worshiping God. And he calls upon the name of the Lord, and it indicates that he is growing in knowledge of this one who disrupted him. As he moves in stages closer and closer and closer to realizing the promise of God, as he's faithfully stepping out into the darkness, uncertain about each step, he is growing in his capacity to trust. And that happens at the altar of worship. He's learning the trustworthy nation of God, and in spite of the circumstances, even when those circumstances get difficult, worship holds him in the knowledge of his relationship with God. But sometimes of our own making, 
sometimes is the result of the enemy of God and God's people, doubt creeps in. And when that happens, our sense of the trustworthiness of God can be challenged. Difficult circumstances can derail us from the path that God has set us on, cause us to question, cause us to doubt our faith, cause us to sense in uncertainty whether we actually receive the promise at all. And in such moments, when we have these questions, once again, worship has the answers. Worship opens up our hearts to a growing relationship with the promiser. So Abraham, Abram left Egypt and traveled north into the Negev along with his wife and Lot and all that they owned. Abram was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. From the Negev, they continued traveling by stages toward Bethel and they pitched their tents between Bethel and Ai, where they had camped before. This was the same place where Abram had built the altar and there he worshiped the Lord again. So we've jumped here from him moving toward the promised land and suddenly he's leaving Egypt. A famine came about in the promised land and so he moved his family and his livestock and his belongings and they went down into Egypt. And then he made this incredible decision to abandon his promises to his own wife. It's, a, it's just an amazing story of somebody completely coming off the rails. Now, the Bible sanitizes it. It says that he just, you know, was worried about her beauty, and so she was brought into the harem. Make no mistake, there are deeply sexual overtones in this. It is a deeply, deeply broken decision. He violated his wife, and yet God, in the midst of all that, draws Abram back. In his doubt, he left for the promised land and he headed towards safety. See, God didn't tell him to go to Egypt. God told him to go to Canaan. And in spite of God's promise, in spite of the clear instructions, in fear, Abram headed toward what he thought was safety. I, I, I heard this week, I don't remember where I heard it, maybe you heard it too, could have been on the radio, that when we get anxious about our problems, our problems move between us and God. But when we pray to God about our problems, God comes between us and our problems. And this is one of those examples that in his fear, his problem became moved to between him and God. And so he heads to safety, and he made these deeply questionable decisions. And I really encourage you to read the entirety of his life, because if you read just Hebrews 11, Abraham shows up with this amazing character. And then you read in Genesis from chapter 12 onwards, you sort of realize that the dude's got a bit of a messy streak. It kind of makes me feel a little better about my own messy streak. Because as he's fumbling forward in faith, I promise you I've never sold Karen off to Pharaoh. <laughs> now, I happen to think she could you know, do well there, but that's a side statement. I didn't actually say that. We'll strike that from the record. It's messy. See, as we fumble forward in faith, we can sometimes step in the muck 
and make incredibly boneheaded decisions. I've made a few in my own life. God draws him back from the compromises of Egypt. And he draws him back into worship. And Abraham worshiped God and returned to the place of his beginning. He gave him a do-over. And I think we can all admit, we sometimes need a do-over. Romans 3.23 says, For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. We've all drifted from time to time from God's best. And some of those have been well-meaning attempts to solve our own problem. So it isn't always that we set out to follow a path that we know better. We ought not to follow. Sometimes it's just trying to figure our own way out of our mess. Maybe even something that wasn't even placed by our own fault upon us. But from time to time, we can make decisions that lead us astray. And we need a do-over. In worship, both on our knees and our hearts, with them bent toward God, we, in worship, return to go. And through grace, those setbacks, those moments where we get off the path, by grace, God picks us up and places us back in the direction that he's called us to go. Worship opens our hearts to healing and restoration. It's the day of truth and reconciliation. See, on earth we have to pick days to do this. We have to remind ourselves that there's a moment in time that we have to make this a priority. But see, in God's kingdom, there's no day of truth and reconciliation. Every day is a day of truth and reconciliation. And every day, you're invited back into worship to have this restorative relationship with the Creator God, regardless of what has happened to you. In joy and lament, in victory and in defeat, there is a God that is calling you into relationship with him, and it happens when we worship. I've experienced in my own life, and Abram experienced it in his. After Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, look as far as you can see in every direction, north and south and east and west, I am giving all this land as far as you can see to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I'd love for God to take me to the hillock just outside my subdivision and look out over the land of Fort Saskatchewan and as far as I can see that God would give me that land. What an inheritance. And at today's value of prices and houses, that'd be, a, that'd be worth something. And I will give you so many descendants that like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. Go and walk through the land in every direction, for I am giving it to you. So Abram moved his camp to Hebron and settled near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. There he built another altar to the Lord. It's here at this fourth altar that Abram's borders 
Abram's horizons are expanded. Worship moves us past our own weakness, gets us out of our own heads, and into the mind and heart of God. And it expands our ability to imagine. It grows our faith, calls us into a depth of relationship we didn't even think was possible. A trust that is simply... shapes the way we make every decision and an obedience that I'm sure Rita, when she was babysitting me, didn't think possible. Worship changes our very nature. It opens our hearts to, create, to a, create, a courageous faith. It does not help us to enunciate. Sometimes, church, I think we lack courage. Above all, I've seen us embrace the promise. I've seen us imagine a relationship with our Creator. I've seen us pursue God. And I've seen us come off the rails and get put back on the rails. But sometimes I wonder if we lack courage in our day. There's so many things around us that are chipping at that. And if our confidence is in our our world or in all the things that we have, I think we're going to find ourselves in trouble. It's in worship where our courage is found. And so what do we do with our call? Are you Rachel Lane or are you Nathan Price or are you somewhere in the middle? In considering the life of Abraham, nearly everything we see in his actions connect back in some way to the covenant promises of God. His actions either advance that promise or they detract from it. Rachel Lane, in the story, she advances the covenant promises by staying firm to her calling. Nathan Lane presented an obstacle to the promises. I probably do a bit of both in my life, just like Abram. When Abram built altars, when he worshipped, his actions were advancing the kingdom advancing the covenant promises of God. When God brought him to the land, God established him in the land, it was God who kept renewing the promises of the land. And in worship, that promise took root and shaped and changed him to the point where his name had to change. He became a new person. Covenant is the central theme of Abram's story. God was bringing a blessing through Abram to the entire world because it is through covenant that God brings about restored relationship and redemption. Truth and reconciliation is born out of our relationship with God. Abram was born into a world as we all are that has two problems. It has the problem of Eden which brought about sin in the world and the problem of Babel which brought about dis disorientation. It dissected us as a people. It created 
a problem with relationship, with God and with one another. It's here in covenant. It's here in the story of Abram. It's here in the promise, standing at an altar, that God solves the Babel problem. As he comes into relationship, reestablishing a connection with, with humanity. And that connection, that promise, led all the way to Calvary, where God took his son, put him on a Roman cross, and dealt with the problem of Eden. We live in a post-Calvary world. Calvary, covenant, redemption, relationship. All that comes together when we worship. So I just asked you, what do we do about our own call? It's all right here. It's in redemption. It's in embracing the love and truth of Jesus Christ and the work that he did on the cross. Not just in a mental ascent, a verbal statement, but in everything we do, it shapes the way we engage the world. It's about relationship. It's about a relationship to God. It's about a relationship with one another. It's about seeking restoration. It's about learning how to agree and disagree. All of that is brought together in worship. Our call comes from worship. It's shaped by worship. It's maintained in worship. And in those moments where we stumble off the path, off the path it is restored in worship. In worship, we too become more open to God's promise. We learn more of the promise. And if need be, we return to go and get a do-over. Or as I said earlier, worship opens our hearts to receiving the promise. Worship opens our hearts to a growing relationship with the promiser. Worship opens our hearts to healing and restoration. And worship opens our hearts to a courageous faith. So church, let's keep worshiping as we fumble forward in faith. Father, thank you. Thank you for the grace of the covenant, for the ways that you show us through the life of Abram, who you held up in your word as an example, a man who did right and did wrong, fumbled and failed, and yet stood on the mountaintop and embraced the promise. Lord, I pray that we would increasingly become a worshiping church. That, Lord, we would embrace and allow our hearts to receive your promise. To allow our hearts to grow in our knowledge and relationship with you. To allow our hearts to be restored and returned back to the places you want us to be when we step off the path. And, Lord, allow our hearts to embrace a courageous faith. Lord, we lift all of us up to you and we thank you for the love and grace that came in your son, Jesus. And it is in his name we pray. Amen.